Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in chapter 14 today. We've been in the series of the Gospel of Luke actually for um, quite some time. Last semester, uh, or last fall, I should say, we were in the Gospel of Luke as well. We covered the first 12 chapters. Last week, I covered Luke chapter 13. And today, we are going to be in a small section of Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. So go ahead and open your Bibles there um, or pull it up on your phones. Um, I'm going to read it out loud right now. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Here it goes. When one of those who reclined at table with him, talking about Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So like I said last week, we were in Luke chapter 13. And if you remember, we were discussing the parable of the narrow door, which is a parable equating to entering heaven as to entering the, the master's house, right? Where the, the people were locked outside of the master's house and they were knocking on the door and, and they were pleading. And he said, I do not know you. And Jesus was telling the people hearing this parable that they need to strive to enter the narrow door. And we learned a few things about entering this house. We learned a few things about entering the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing was uh, not everyone who desired or everyone who said they desired would be granted access to the house. In fact, the parable tells us that there will be those of us that don't enter heaven because we relied on things that weren't, that weren't good enough to save us. We rely on them, and some of us will rely on them until it's too late, until the door has been shut, either by our death or by the, the final judgment. Like we, we walked through some of those things and... and um, we found out like your words aren't good enough to save you, right? Like um, your desire, you just saying you want to be saved is not good enough to save you. We talked about how church isn't good enough to save you. Just attending and being here is not good enough to save you. We talked about how your parents and the way you were raised and, and your good actions and your good desires and your well intents, like none of those are good enough to save you. But we also discussed what was good enough to save you, right? We talked about how Jesus Christ and him crucified is the only thing that can save you. And last week, I gave you an opportunity to enter into the house. I gave you an opportunity to be saved. 
I gave you an opportunity to repent and believe. And this week, we're talking about a similar illustration, except instead of heaven being a house that you enter, as we just read, you see that it's a feast that you partake in. That's what heaven's being related to tonight in this passage, a feast that you partake in. But today, we are thinking through a different aspect of entering into heaven. And instead of me pleading with those of you tonight who think that you're going to be saved, but you aren't because you're putting your faith in the wrong things. And instead, I'm going to be speaking to those of you that are so wrapped up in yourself that you can't truly accept the invite in the first place. You're so wrapped up in the things of this world and you've been led astray that you're unwilling to accept the invite to head to the feast. Tonight, I want to encourage you, and this scripture encourages us, to be the guest of God, right? to be his guest. That's the title of, of this message, be his guest. And I already saw a couple smiles on your face. No, I'm not going to break into song. I'm not going to break into be our guest or anything from, from uh, Beauty and the Beast. But that is the title, be his guest, because that's what we're getting at. We're getting at how to be his guest at the feast, and we want to start with the most important reminder, and it's something that I've already hit on a little bit, but the, fir- the first point for tonight is, is don't miss your chance. Accept the invite. Don't miss your chance. Accept the invite. Look back at verse 15 there. Verse 15, it says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, Jesus said to him, or, or, uh, the guy said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, so what this man is saying, it's true, right? It's true. Like, yes, blessed will be everyone who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this isn't the only place that we see language like this. Like this is mentioned in Luke, of course, here and a couple other places. It's mentioned in Isaiah, but it's also mentioned in Revelation. Like here's what Revelation has to say about it. It's on the screen. And the angel said to me, is talking to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So once again, the idea of being with God in heaven here is described as a feast. It's, it's described as the marriage supper of the lamb. It, it's a banquet. And John in Revelation is saying that those who are invited are blessed. So the man's statement here back in in Luke chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 15, it's true. Like truly, blessed will be those who get to participate in the banquet. But Jesus, just like last week, and just like we know Jesus to do, he has a lot more to say on the matter. He's not just going to say, yes, you're right. He's actually going to get to another heart issue. He's going to get to something that he wants them to think about and to do. So he doesn't just agree with it. He has something to say. And at first he begins along the same lines of what we studied last week, that there will be those who are invited. Look back at verse 16 and 17 there. But he said to him, This is Jesus. He dives into this parable now. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So just like in our teaching last week, Jesus is first talking to the Jews, 
right? He's first talking to the Jews and they are the ones who have been initially invited. These are the ones that Jesus is preaching to. They're God's chosen people. And the man that Jesus is speaking to, he knows this. He's one of the the Jews that's reclining at table with Jesus. But also, just like last week, We should know that this invitation that we're reading about right now, this invitation has been extended to us, to the Gentiles, to to the non-Jewish people. And we're going to see that later in in verse 23, but we see that here now. So I wanted to mention it to you. But for now, we just need to understand that there are certain people who are invited and that invite now extends to us. And and our point of application here is, is don't miss the invite. Don't miss the invite. Don't miss the, the call to salvation. Don't miss your opportunity to know Christ. Your opportunity to know his goodness, his abundance, to know his death and resurrection for you. Like, don't miss the opportunity that I, I gave last week. And guess what? Like, between last week and this week, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Okay, in case you didn't notice, like, we're still all here, which means the opportunity is still open. The door has not closed yet. It is not too late to accept the invite. Not now. And if you'd like to do that, or if you did it last week and you really haven't thought through it and you haven't really talked about it, I just want to encourage you, come find me afterwards. Like we're going out to the parking lot tonight. Um, Like we've done it before. We go out, play games, have s'mores, just hang out. Like we're going to go do that. Um, and we're just going to be around talking. The perfect opportunity to come find me or any of the leaders that are wearing these name tags like this, come find one of us and let us know, hey, I want to give my life to Christ or hey, I just did last week and, and I'd like to, to know more. Like come let us know, but I just, I just want to press in before we go any further and just continue plucking the cord that I plucked last week of don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss the invite. For now, that's, that's the application from these two verses that we see here. Now, the rest of this passage concerns itself with those who should have accepted the invite. The Jews back then and for us today, those who the gospel has been offered and they are currently rejecting it. Don't be that person, right? That's what I'm saying. Don't be that person. And if you're saying to yourself, I've already accepted the invite, great. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad you've accepted the invite. However, as we keep on reading over the next few verses, I want you to keep your eyes on the text. Keep your eyes on the text and keep your ears open and begin truly evaluating if you are accepting the invite or if you just say you're going to. If you're accepting it, or if you just say you're going to like, have you accepted it or have you just RSVP'd and now the time has come for uh, God's servant to bring you in and you've actually been found to have given your life over to other things. You've actually been found to be caring about other things and be led astray by them. Like when the rubber has hit the pavement, you've also been coming up with these excuses. You've been coming up with these excuses and you don't delight in God and in his house and in his banquet. So I just want to encourage you, like, not only not to miss your chance and accept the invite, but I want to encourage you for those of you that say you have accepted the invite to use this time now as as a means of just making sure to, like, check yourself against what we're just about to read and see. See where you're at. That's all, all I'm asking. Let's look back at the text now. Luke 14, verses 18 to 20. But they all, like, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. 
please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, I go to examine them. Please then have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So, so one of the things that we learn about this is that there will be those of us who have supposedly been declared as invited guests. And yet when the time comes for us to show up, when the time comes for the servant to come and collect those that belong there, we're going to make excuses as for why we don't care. We're going to make excuses as for why we don't want to be with Christ. And the point of application here is, is don't be led astray. Don't be led astray, but delight in Jesus. Let's focus on the first half of this application point first. Like, don't be led astray. So why did I choose that wording? Well, I chose it because that's exactly what's happening to the invited guests in this passage, right? The, the Lord's servant has come to let them know. He's like, the banquet is here. It's time. Like this thing that you RSVP'd to, like this thing that you've been invited to and that you know about, like now is the time. Let's go to the master's house and let's partake in the thing that we're supposed to do together. And it says in verse 18, it literally uses the words, they began to make excuses. That's how we know. That's how we know that they're not something of substance. And we see what their excuses were, right? Look back at verse 18. What is it? First man says, I bought a field. Look at verse 19. What's that excuse there? Man says, I've bought some oxen. Look at verse 20. What does he say? I got married. In other words, what are the things that are leading these men astray? If we were to wrap them up and summarize them, it's actually pretty simple. Possessions, finances, family. Possessions, finances, and family. Three huge categories that tend to lead Christians astray in their walk with God. And even more important to you right now, as I'm speaking to the college ministry, the 18 to 25-ish age range that sits right here before me, like even more important for you, these are some of the biggest motivators for why you're doing what you do right now. Like why you're in college, why you're getting a degree or why you're starting your career or why you're choosing to do what you do. Like just, just a show of hands real quick. Um, how many of you are doing what you do right now, whether it be in school or at work? How many of you are doing it at least in part because it's a means to provide money to support your current lifestyle or the lifestyle that you, you want to have, right? Oh, come on, get involved with me here. Yeah, all right, good, you're awake. So, duh, right? Like the answer is obvious. Of course, one of the reasons I have a job is so that I can financially support myself and also support the family that I want. But also one of the reasons I wanna go to college and get the career I want is because I wanna get paid to do it. I want to not only be able to do it, but I want to make enough money that I can do it the rest of my life. Like that is a main motivator, but that is one of the reasons that it can be such a trap for us right now in this age, because it is a main motivator of our life. And those are the excuses that you see that these guests have, and they're, they're dangerous not only for them, but for us. And, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to have them in our lives, like family, 
Family is a gift from God. Provision, provision is a gift from God. Finances, finances are a gift given to us from the Lord. Like those things aren't wrong in themselves, but, but what is wrong is when they take the place of God. Because what can then happen is what Paul is speaking of in Romans about those who have turned from God. This is what he says. This is going to be on the screen because I want you just to see this text as I'm reading about it and we discuss it for a minute. This is Romans 1, 21. Paul says, for although they knew God, speaking of the, these people that God has given up, like for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust and in hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Like this right here is what these invited guests did. For although they knew God, for although they were invited to the banquet, by him, they did not honor him. But instead, it says in that last half, exchange the glory of God. And don't mistake here, like in Romans, they're talking about idols and carved images and the things they desired and the things they worshiped. But so too, money, finances, and family are idols. They are things that we choose to worship and to give glory to. And, and what these guests are doing is that they're exchanging the glory of God for possessions. And for us, that's a, that's a good house. That's a good car. That's a good, safe neighborhood. That's somewhere pretty and somewhere clean. Maybe for you, it's out in the country somewhere. Maybe for you, it's like deep inner city. Like, I'm not sure what it looks like for you, but for us, we have an image in mind when it comes to the possessions that we desire and that we think could make us happy that we could exchange the glory of God for. for. For them, like they exchange the glory of God for finances. For us, that's a nice paying job, a cushioned bank account, a retirement plan, maybe a summer vacay house, maybe two summer vacay houses, who knows? But you can easily see how we might exchange the glory of God for giving glory over to those things instead. What about exchanging the glory of God for family? I've, I've talked to several of you. I know that you desire a wife or a husband. I know that you desire kids. I know some of you just desire peaceful relationships with your mom and dad, with your brothers and sisters, with your immediate family members. Like none of these things are, are wrong in themselves. But when are they wrong? Like it says in Romans, they become wrong when we begin to exchange the glory of God for them. Now, like theological question for a minute. Is it possible to transactionally or actually physically diminish God's glory? Like, is it possible to make God less glorious? No, the answer is no. We do not affect God. So when they say they exchange the glory of God and they diminish his glory, they're not saying that they did anything to God. It's saying how they view God diminished. 
that what they thought of him, how they valued him and how they treasured him was diminished. It was extinguished and it was exchanged for something else because we don't diminish God's glory to him. We diminish his glory in our lives. And that's what happens when we exchange his glory for other things and we learn to love other things and we put them in our heart in a way that causes us to delight in them, rather delight in him. And I just want to say like, friends, don't be led astray. Don't be led astray, but delight in Jesus. Don't let these things take a hold in your heart. And I, and I know that's a, an easy thing to say. It's a really Sunday school thing to say, right? Like love Jesus more than you love other things. I get that. Like that note, like it feels sort of cool when you write it down. Maybe it's a little powerful in the moment, but you're going to look at it three weeks. And you're like, but how do I do that? How do I go about making sure they, they don't take hold in my heart? I, I just encourage you, one, if you're in community with somebody, they're going to be able to help you identify those things. You'll be talking to them about them. And I also want to encourage you to just evaluate how you feel about something, right? Like if you have something in your life you're desiring, think about what you think about, what you treasure, what you love, what you're spending your time on, what you're spending your money on. And these are just simple ways to begin evaluating what do I really care about? Like out of my 24-hour day, what do I devote my things to and my time to? These are just little things that will hopefully make it practical. So you can begin seeing if I'm being led astray by something. Let's talk about the other point, right? Delight in Jesus. Don't be led astray, but delight in Jesus. How does one delight in Jesus? And there's, there's many ways that we could talk about delighting in Jesus tonight. In fact, we spent like this whole last summer talking about how to delight in Jesus because we talked about the, the spiritual disciplines, right? We, we talked about um, scripture, reading it, prayers, meditation, fasting, memorization. We talked about community. We talked about uh, serving, like so many things that we talked about and many things that we did not talk about. And we don't have time to possibly cover all of them right now. But there are two things in this passage right here that we can see in how to delight in Jesus. So as we, as we read these next two points, let's, let's just take these two tonight. If you're wondering how you cannot be led astray and you can delight in Jesus more, turn your eyes to these passages right here and see this spot, this third point, know your place. Know your place. And I know this sounds sort of like an aggressive point, right? Like you hear it, I already hear some chuckles, like you, you hear it sometimes when, when you're being talked down to you, like, hey, buddy, you, you better watch it. You better know your place right? Like that's, that's what I think of when I hear that term is like being put in my place. Um, but that's not how I mean it. And let me explain. Look back at verse 21 there. Verse 21 says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've done or what you've commanded has been done. So there's room 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that the house may be filled. So this part of the parable is crucial for you and me. And it relates to, to last week's message as well. But the, the point of this part of the passage is for Jesus to teach the Jews that, that not only 
Will those who are considered unrighteous and low and disgusting in the eyes of the, the hypocritically righteous, like not only will like, like the lower and lesser and crippled Jews be saved, that's who he's talking about when he's talking about like the sick and the poor, like not only are they gonna be saved, but one of the things Jesus is teaching here is that the Gentiles are going to be saved. That we, that's us, that we will be saved. Like that what belonged to the Jews, like the first chosen people of God will now belong to us. And, th and that's why I say, know your place. Because like to know your place, it's actually a, a really joyful phrase. Be because like to know your place means that you know where your place should have been but now you know where you belong. Let me say that again. Like to know your place means you know where you should have been because you're a Gentile, but now you know where you belong now. That's the point that I'm saying. Like we as non-Jews, we are not the originally invited guests in this story. This story is not to us and about us initially. It's to the Jews. Like we, eat, we aren't even those that are living in the lanes in the streets in verse 19, right? Like there's the first option, which is the Jews themselves, like the, the people that, especially like the Pharisees would have thought that they were in that first category, you know? Like that's option number one. And then there's option number two, which is like, all right, go get all the sick and crippled people and bring them in. Guys, we're not even option number two. We're option number three. We're the last ones. We're the ones who are in the, the highways and the hedges, like the people who didn't even belong in the town. And now we're in the banquet. We didn't even exist in the population. And now we're in the house. Like that matters. We as Gentiles, we were living our own way. We were living our own way. We were worshiping our own gods and we were living a life for us and not for him. And I don't just mean us, like, I mean our ancestors, right? Like if we had traced back, unless any of you are Jewish, I guess, if any of you are Jewish, but otherwise, if you were to trace your history back, right? Like you would lead and follow to paganism eventually. It would be there. That was us. But God compelled us to be saved. Like in verse 23, that, that word there, compelled, like that is, it's a cool word to pick. The, the literal word and other translations say it, like it literally means make them come in. Like go to the highways and hedges and make them come in. It, it's as if we were a people who were hiding in the hedges and we blinked and all of a sudden we're sitting at the table. It's, it's as if we were people that were walking along the highways. You walked along highways back then, right? Like there was no driving. The highways were places you walked. Like we were walking along the highway and all of a sudden our next step was in the banquet room. That's what it's like for us. Like God compelled us to be saved. Like that's, that's how it, it's amazing it is. Like it's not only that we are saved, but it, it's that God saved us even when we didn't want it. Even when we didn't know about it, God saved us. Like to know our place is to understand the immense blessing it is to have been invited in the, in the first place. To know our place helps us put all the things that lead us astray in, in perspective. That's how we delight in Jesus more, right? Like I love my wife. I love my job. I, I love my kids. I love the, the passions and hobbies that I have. 
but, but God has loved me enough to compel me to a place at, at his table. And he loved me enough to invite me even when I didn't deserve the invitation. And the love that he has shown me and the grace and mercy that he has shown me to open my eyes when I didn't deserve it, that helps put all the other things that I value in perspective. And the more I know my place, the more I reflect on what I deserve, the more I appreciate where I now belong. So knowing your place is a way to increase your delight in Jesus. So if you're in need of that, like if you've been led astray by things in the world, like something you love and, and you're finding it hard to delight in Jesus, I just want to encourage you, point practical application, right? I want to give you things you can do. Pray and reflect on where you could have been and where God has brought you. And I don't just mean like through some really difficult, hard time in your life. I mean like the fact that you could have been not saved. You could have been not belonging to him. And if he has opened your eyes and he's called you to himself, that he has done something in you that is miraculous. So spend some time trying to understand that. So that's how you can avoid being led astray and delight in Jesus by knowing your place. And the last point, this is how we're wrapping up tonight. The last point is the same. It's in the same vein as knowing your place. And it's here in verse 24. Look at this. Verse 24, for I tell you, none of these, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So it tells me that, that my place is special because there are those who are originally invited who will never get to experience what I get to experience. And to the depth that I know my place is the depth that I can thank the host of the banquet. And that's our last point tonight. Thank your host. Like if you want to grow in delighting in Jesus and you want to help not being led astray, not only should you understand and know your place and where you would have been and where you are now, but you thank your host for bringing you in in the first place. Like if you were here last year, you might remember our message about the woman uh, who worshiped Jesus in the midst of scribes and Pharisees. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Like she worshiped him, like Jesus was all these scribes and Pharisees. She worshiped him and uh, they, they hated her for it. They despised her for it. And, and he told them this, this is on the screen. He said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And I, I wanna ask you, do you see the logic there? He who is forgiven little, loves little. Meaning that to the extent that you understand how you've been forgiven is the extent in which you love God. The extent in which you understand that you've been forgiven is the extent in which you love. And the same for our, our passage tonight. Like the extent in which you know your place in which you were undeservedly given, the extent that you'll want to thank your host. To put it shorter, the more grateful you are for your salvation, the more you'll worship God because of it. The more you're filled with thankfulness and joy and love in your heart towards God. And if you're looking for a way to avoid being led astray by the things of the world, if you're looking for a way to keep your mind focused on Christ and what he's done for you, then there's like literally no better way than to worship. Right? To, meaning to decrease yourself and increase God. That's what that means in worship, like decreasing our idols and increasing God's glory in our lives. So let's put this all together to wrap up. Last week and this week, banquet, house, here it is. Heaven is described as a feast or banquet. Some who think that they're gonna get in won't because they relied on their desire, their church attendance, good deeds, how they're erased. And some people who hear the invite or have claimed that they want to attend the banquet, they won't be found to care. 
because they don't delight in God and they'd rather love the things of the world that may appear to be true guests of the king, but really their heart is far from him. That's a summary. Last two weeks before we head into Luke 15 and we start turning a chapter into something else. And the imperative of this for tonight and all this is where do you fit in? You are somewhere in that story. That described all of creation. So where do you fit in? Are you going to accept the invite? Are you going to delight in God? Have you accepted the invite? Those are all the things that I want to lay foundation on before we head into the next few chapters of Luke together. Because if we don't have the basics right, guys, it's not going to matter if I teach you how to live the Christian life better if you're not a Christian, right? Like that, that just doesn't matter. So think about that. Let's pray about it together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for um, the, the truths found in scripture. And um, Jesus, thank you for uh, your words to us as true as they might be, as harsh as they might be, Lord, they're your words, and I thank you for them. Lord, we love you um, for saving us. Thank you for giving us a place. Help us to know our place better, increase our joy, and our worship better, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.